0: Hello America, and welcome back to another episode of The Hear Me Tell It, The Life and Times of Jerry Daniels, when you've had your daily dose of today's craziness dealing with all them Karens out there, right shotgun with old JD as he goes back and recounts the life and times of growing up in the South during the 60s and 70s, I believe we were called baby boomers, the stories that you will say, yep, I've done that, but I ain't gonna tell my kids I ain't never told my spouse, but whatever the truth be, it will be this, to hear me tell it. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of To Hear Me Tell It. Most of you know who listened to the last session was, uh, you know, how I how I came about joining the Navy, part one. Well, this is uh, how I came about joining the Navy, part two. And the last session, I wrapped up with uh, old Jerry getting on the bus and, and, and heading, to, heading to the U.S. Navy. Now, I don't know how they do it today because I've been, I've been uh, away from it for so long, but back then, you you know, you, I, I transferred. I will say I transferred. I took the bus, went to Atlanta, went to the MEPS, the military and processing station, did a whole bunch of stuff, um, went up there and spent the night and did, did a whole bunch of stuff, and then you end up getting on a, uh, a plane, and we flew to... Uh, Orlando Florida that's where I went to boot camp and then I think they do it on purpose matter of fact I know they do it on purpose and they gather a whole bunch of collection of folks and I don't know if anybody's keeping track of who's who and when they were supposed to be there who knows bottom line is 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 by the end of the evening I'm talking late in the evening 10 11 12 o'clock at night there's a collection of of uh young people most of them are young all from from all parts of the United States, and they're all gathered up in a park there at the airport and waiting on the the Navy to come get you in a bus. And they did, and they came and got us. And um, well, let me back up. Let me back up to the the whole Atlanta, Georgia thing. This is kind of how my – and I, and I was thought, boy, I hope the rest of my Navy career doesn't go this way. But I was, uh, I was at the airport. And they had given us all a package. You had like a big, you know, a big old thick package. Hell, I bet it was four inches thick. Had all that stuff and all that paperwork before the days of electronics and uh, digital. So you had a you had a package, and and then you were put into a group, and you knew you know you need to be with this group because all y'all gonna get on an airplane together and y'all gonna fly to the airport, uh, Orlando airport. So I get put into a group, and then. Uh, somebody was put in charge of the group that wasn't me and uh so they gave my package to some dude and said hey you know you got you know you've got these 10 people's packages and you need to keep these 10 people with you at all times and stuff so and and then whoever them knuckleheads were you know i don't know how they again i don't know how they got put in charge but they got us together and said hey you know they they called out people's names anyway i was i was sorted out and i was put into a group Whoever this guy was had all, you know, he was another guy going to the boot camp just like the rest of us, but he had all these packages. We're supposed to stay together, so I, I do exactly what I'm told. So I'm with this group, and then we, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a follower at this point. I just, I'm just like Forrest Gump. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. So I, I, I followed, follow, and then we we get to the gate, <clears throat> and we're at the point where we're about to get on our flight, and the guy's going through his packages, And he's starting to give them to people. He don't give me one. I said, where's my package? He goes, you're not in my group. I said, like, the hell I ain't. You said I was. Well, unbeknownst to me that somebody got my package wrong and my package wasn't in that guy's hands no more. And I thought, oh, crap. So at the last breaking minute, I have to jump through hoops to find where this other group of recruits went. It was at a different gate. But I almost, almost missed the damn flight. They were calling my name. <clears throat> so anyway, I thought, boy, I hope the rest of my pack, I hope my rest of my Navy career don't go this way because it didn't start off right. I almost missed a damn flight. But anyway, we get to Orlando, Florida, and they gather us all up, and we're all collected down there at some point in the airport, and it's getting late, 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 and I. Uh, Took the liberty. I hadn't had long hair. I say long hair. hadn't had that boot camp haircut yet, so I guess it was long. But anyway, I uh, hadn't had my hair, and I got bored trying to be funny, and I got in a wheelchair and was messing around, and I was back for TSA, and you know nobody ever dreamt, dreamt of, of terrorists and all that crap. So this was in 1980. Anyway, I got in a, got in a wheelchair and I started farting around over there and showing off and trying to balance it on you know just the two wheels and it didn't go well so needless to say I I fell and some security guy come over there and had his words with me and straightened me out and so so we get on the bus we'll go to boot camp and then take off there we go so we head on about our way and we go to the the navy base and it's it's kind of it's surreal it's it's hard to describe what it's like to to show up, and, and and of course you know the bus is dark, and all you see outside is is darkness, and and then and what lights you do see, they're blinding, and you can't can't make out any images and whatnot, and <coughs> and I had on I had, had had chewing gum in my mouth, I remember that, and the bus goes to this place, and I'm I'm just you know my, my eyes are as big as saucers, man, I'm looking out the window, and I thought, golly. My heart beats beating as hard as it can go, and I'm nervous. My mouth's dry, even though I got chewing gum. And next thing you know, the bus comes to a stop, and click, the interior light comes on, and some person in the navy climbs up on that bus and just commenced to rip us a new one. And instantly, I realized at that point, uh, I, I don't know how many weeks it was going to be. I think it was eight weeks, but it was it was evident at that point for the next X weeks, so I was going to be the stupidest son of a gun in the world. So they're screaming, "Get off the bus! Get off the bus! Get off the bus!" And I remember, I remember and the in the lights, the lights are so bright, and you're out on the sidewalk, and 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 it's and the people are screaming at you, and and you know, do this, do that, don't get over here, get over here, you know, get your hands out of your pockets, put that down, don't step on this, all that crap, and <laughs> and then some some woman in a uniform is. Do you have chewing gum in your mouth? Oh, my God. She just ripped my ass off about having gum. Get that out of your mouth. So I took it out, and I held it. And then it was like, what are you going to do with it? Man, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know to stick it behind my ear, stick it up my butt. Anyway, I uh, I put it in my pocket. I took the chewing gum out, and I, and I put it in my pocket. And I don't remember what came of it, but I put it in my pocket. And we get to a barracks and we go to sleep and, you know, it's just, you just, it's, it's, it's total mayhem. And then they wake you up just a few hours later by throwing damn big old metal trash cans down the, down, be, you know, between the barracks the there and banging them with sticks and get up and all this crap. And then we go to a, a, a big gymnasium and everybody's got all sleepies in their eyes and everybody's got their hair and it's all jacked up. And it's, it's a, it's a, let me just say this, it's a very unusual odor. And I've never smelt it again in my entire life, but just imagine hundreds and hundreds of young adults from all parts of the country, some from out of the country, <clears throat> being instantly collected into one central location. And all of a sudden, now you're sitting in a what? I, I thought it was a gymnasium. It's just a big ass room. I don't know what it was, but an auditorium. And what you sit on the floor. There ain't no seats. You didn't sit. You didn't sit in a seat. Uh, for a long time. Let's just say that you either stood or you sat on the floor. So it was, it was an unusual smell. I remember thinking, what in the hell is this smell? And and there's no words to describe it, but a buttload of people from everywhere, and a lot of them ain't bathed in quite a while, including me. Been, been two days since I bathed, but I believe some of these old boys ain't gone for another couple of weeks. And they're, and they're, we're all sitting there and there's there's several several tables up front and there's these these fellers in uniforms and I didn't realize who they were, but they were company commanders. And like there's two at this table, and then there's another table table, there's two more over there, and there's another table, there's two more over there, another table, there's two more over there. Man, they're cocky. Woo, these old boys are cocky. I mean cocky. And and they're they're showing us, you know, they're not showing us, but they're telling us, They're talking to us. And saying, you know, hey, I need y'all to get over here and get over there. But they're calling your name. That's the bottom line is they're, they're forming up companies. And I didn't know that at the time, but that's what they're doing. They're forming up companies. And they're just calling people's names. And when they, they called your name, you had to snap up to an intention, the best attention you could give on, you know, having been in boot camp less than 12 hours. And, and then they would call your name and they would tell you what your company was. <clears throat> and then you had to go where they said go. So they're forming companies. And all of a sudden, my name's called Daniels, Jerry F. Man, I snapped up and, and I said, yes, sir, or something. I don't know what I said. But anyway, it was different with me because they were telling everybody else they would just come up, snap their name. You had to repeat your name, and then you pointed, and you went over there where everybody was being sorted. But I, that didn't happen with me. <clears throat> So the guy that called my name—I uh, didn't know it then—but he was a first-class petty officer. <clears throat> they called him "red ropers." He had a red rope, you know, across his shoulder. That, that meant they were a company commander. That's how you visually identified that that person had some serious authority there. So I—I I, I jumped up, said my name, and he just stared at me. And I kind of leaned, like I was, like anticipating—I knew what he was going to tell me to do, but he didn't. Told me to get your ass up here, and I, I stood for a minute and I thought, well, that's different. He ain't told nobody else to do that, and he'd said it again, get your ass up here. So man, I have now got to navigate through all these people to go a different direction. So I'm trying to get through a crowd of people sitting on the floor, and I finally get to the front. And I get up there close to her, and there's a, there's a, I didn't know who it was, but there's a chief sitting at the table with a beard. His name was Chief Hooker. Oh uh, uh boiler tech from uh see no he was a hull tech. Chief Hooker was a hull tech from uh diesel boats, submarines. And this other guy was a first class petty officer and he was an AD1. <clears throat> I mean he was a jet mechanic or he was a, he was a propulsion mechanic. I don't know if he was props or jet. I think he was jets, but it didn't matter. But he was a red roper <clears throat> and he's a black feller and This is, again, 1980, and he's got on these real dark glasses. I can't see his eyes, and they wouldn't wouldn't do that today. That was back, you know, pre-Zone Wall Navy and crap. But as I get closer to him, he's just staring. You know, when I say staring, he's looking at me. I can't see his eyes for some sunglasses he's got on. I get closer to him, and he's got this look about him, and he keeps staring at me, looking at the paper, staring at me, looking at the paper. And as I got close enough to him, I could read his name tag. Oh boy's last name was Daniels. <laughs> I thought, what? what are the odds? So I got closer, and I, I stood at, well, I thought he wanted me to stand in at attention, so I just stood at attention and said, yes, sir. He said, Daniels, and then repeated my full name again. I said, yes, sir. And he just looked at me with a half-cock smile. He said, are we related? I said, no, sir. I didn't miss a beat. I said, no, sir. He said, you answered that mighty fast. How do you know that? And without missing a lick, I looked at that old boy and I said, well, I ain't never seen you at a family reunion. <laughs> his, his mouth, you could see he wanted, he wanted to laugh so bad he couldn't stand it. But that's what he said, Daniels. He repeated my name. Are we related? No, sir. How do you know that? Because I ain't never seen you at a family reunion. And he almost, he almost cracked a smile. And he pointed over there, and then get the F out of my face, and I took off. That was it. So, so they formed up companies, and then next thing I knew, I was in Company C-210, and that's who we were. And we became known as uh, Daniel's Devils and Hooker's Heroes. That's who we were. Company C-210, 1980. Naval Air uh, – Naval, what do they call it? Naval Technical Training Center. NATTC was it NA? Yeah, anyway. Naval Training Technical Center Center, uh, Orlando, Florida, which is no longer. They don't they don't have it anymore. The only basic training now for the Navy is in Great Lakes, which I think is a terrible choice, but I'm sure politics had something to do with it. So who who in the world would pick a uh, a, a cesspool of a place to go train all the Navy's newest sailors? They should either kept it in San Diego or kept it in Orlando, but they should have got rid of Great Lakes, Illinois. But again, Politics, politics plays in everything, so that's it is what it is. So anyway, I, I go and uh, start my navy career, and that's what happens. And uh, you know, I got formed into a company, and then the first thing they do is start giving people that are in the company uh, duties, responsibilities. RPOC, the recruit uh, recruit uh, company commander. Uh, recruit company, petty officer in charge or some crap like that. Then you had APOC, who was the assistant. And then our ours was named Chample, Chapel and Blanton. And, uh, and I think this this one guy uh, that was in charge of the, of the – well I say in charge, but he was the leading recruit. Uh, I think he got that position because he came from some high school that had an ROTC or something like that, or J, NJROTC. N, anyway, the guy was a freaking idiot. Uh, and I just thought, God, are, 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 are all the people in the NGROTC program that stupid? This guy was butt stupid. I'm serious it's a heart attack. And um, Blanton was the, the second guy in charge, and, and he was sharp as attack. I think he became a nuke or something. But anyway, everybody got these jobs and duties, and and, and I, I didn't have a job or a duty. I wasn't nothing. And then within three days, all of a sudden, I got a job. And it's kind of like a collateral duty, if you will, but I became the laundry petty officer. So me and a couple other fellers, that was our job. So our job was to uh, collect the laundry baskets when they were full, and and then we had to get them to the this big building where they did laundry. And uh, it was it was it was interesting to say the least because the barracks were were three stories high, and, and ain't no damn elevator. And to get that laundry basket, which would look like a big, huge, massive. Uh, mail cart is what it looked like. It was a big, you know, big wire frame basket with caster wheels with a cloth, uh, you know, insert or whatever. But to watch uh, a bunch of sailors get that up and down uh, three flights of steps uh, was was uh, was a sight to see. I'll just leave it at that. <coughs> Excuse me. So anyway, uh, so I was the laundry PO for about I don't know two weeks maybe, and one of the division petty officers got fired. And then all of a sudden, I got called in the office and told I was going to be a, a division petty officer. Got me a second class crew, put it on my collar, and now I was in charge of sixteen people. And I say in charge of. I was I was responsible for sixteen people. Believe it at that. So I was I was a division petty officer. So we had a company, and I think we was in either six or eight, but I think we was in six divisions, and I had division two, which really kind of pissed me off. I had to move my rack so before I became a person of of have any kind of responsibility I slept on one side of the barracks over there with my buddies and my buddies were uh, Steve Kavanaugh and Jimmy Largent Timmy Odekert Uh, they were over there and they were my buddies and Steve Kavanaugh and I are still friends today he's from Utica New York his father was a master chief Steve became a Navy CB and Jimmy Largent was from West Virginia I don't really know what happened to Jimmy, but I know that he and I went to a school together after boot camp. We became aviation ordnancemen, and I went to F 14s and he went to A sixes. And uh, I don't, I don't know what happened to Jimmy. I think, I think Jimmy got in trouble with drugs or something, but I, I don't know. I don't. I, I honestly, I do, I do not know what happened to Jimmy Largent. But I can tell you, I'm going to tell you another story. That, that boy had the biggest damn fist in the world. So uh, I moved over to the other side because I got that position, and now I'm a, I'm a division petty officer. And I had a division. And basically what that meant was is I was responsible to ensure that the duties uh were carried out in the evening or the morning, depending upon what we were signed, uh, to do. So like in the evening after we got done, all the stuff you get done doing today, and they ain't a whole lot of time, then they had a watch bill and then one of the somebody else, you know, told somebody else what to do, and my division had like it, it may be you know, Mondays and Tuesday nights, my division were responsible for cleaning the heads at, you know, at 20-hundred or some shit. And anyway, we, so we carried that out. And, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, I would assign people to do it and tell them, hey, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, I need you to do this, whatnot. And, you know what, I'm going to tell you all something that's sad. This is sad. I, I take no pride in telling you this. This is the day that I learned that racism was alive and well. And I told you that my company commander, uh, Petty Officer Daniels was black. Uh, that man displayed no favoritism or racism whatsoever. None, none. And, uh, I remember making good friends with a, a guy that was a, a, uh, department petty officer. His name was Harris. I remember that guy. He was, man, he was, he was, that guy was motivated. He motivated me. A little short black guy named Harris. And I ran into him years later, years later on a ship. And, uh, Harris was sharp man. He was he was Johnny on the spot, but I hadn't seen any any signs of any racism whatsoever. No favoritism. Didn't matter where you were from, what you spoke, what color of your skin was. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And I thought, well, I, I like this. This is this is cool. Everybody's got an even playing field. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a division petty officer, and I remember I had my division, and I was assigning duties, and I rotated them. Nobody got the same thing. I didn't. I didn't have any favoritism. And there was there was a, a black guy in our in our division, and I forget his name, but that night was the night that I signed him to clean toilets. And I'm gonna tell y'all right now, it was a slap in the face because he looked at me, and he these are his words, not mine. He looked at me and said, no, nah, I ain't cleaning your toilets. You sign that to some of your white boys. And he turned around and walked off. I thought, well, hell, huh. Okay. So I just Signed somebody else's duties. And uh didn't pick that battle. Not there. Not then. And the next day, I was uh, so inclined to go talk to Petty Officer Daniels and say, hey, man, I got a problem. You know, and I told him what happened. <clears throat> he told me to stand in the corner. He opens his door. He screams out that guy's name. And I do remember his name, but I'm not going to say it. And he called that guy in his office. And the guy walked in there. And he, y'all know what I'm talking about. But he, he walked in there and... He had that, that swagger walk to him, you know, wherever he came from. I don't know, probably inner city. But he had that walk about him, and he walked in there, and he uh, he he stood at attention That had kind of like a half cock. And I'm going to tell you right now, Petty Officer Daniels said, he pointed at me and said, he told me this happened. Is that true? And the guy didn't say yes, and he didn't say no. And that spoke volumes. And let me tell you, Petty Officer Daniels tore that guy's head off. And he lectured him in that room with a closed door with me standing in the corner. And he lectured this guy about the years of racism and segregation that he had gone through in the Navy and what progress had been made. And he'd be damned if he was going to let this guy come in there and ruin it. So it ended with uh, him calling him a lot lot of names, told him what he needed to do to fix his attitude and get that blank, blank, blank chip off his shoulder, and then he told him to go pack his crap and get out of the company, go stand on the sidewalk with his sea bag, and he'll figure out what to do with him later. He immediately removed him from the company. Boom, that guy was gone instantly, instantly. And uh, anyway, so that that was what happened to that guy. So uh, anyway, I've already been talking for 21 minutes, and i uh, got a lot more stories to tell about enlisting the Navy, but uh Here's, here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this one with. It's kind of like a, a little flavor, if you will, or an appetizer. But I enlisted in the Navy, and, and, and unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to me, on the day that I was standing in Atlanta, Georgia, at the MEP station, raising my hand, uh, taking the enlisted oath, the day I did that, not on, not on. not when I did it delayed entry, but the day I, I actually entered active duty service, not delayed entry. But the day that I did that, unbeknownst to me, my wife was doing the exact same thing in Portland, Maine. Yep. So the day I did all this stuff, my lovely bride was in Portland, Maine doing the exact same thing. Yep. Miss Laura was up in Portland, Maine enlisting in the Navy. And get this. We were in the same group of young teenagers at the airport that night, waiting for the bus to take us to the boot camp, uh, to the Naval uh, Technical Training Center, and we were in the same group. The only thing she remembers is some guy with long hair, like a knucklehead, got in trouble with a wheelchair. That's all she remembered. So indirectly, that was the first time we crossed paths, and we crossed paths many times before then, before we got married. So that's it. It's been, uh, been 23 minutes, and the only thing I got through was just going to boot camp, forming up a company, and, and uh, learning that racism was alive and well. And uh, and anyway, so that was it. Petty Officer awesome Daniels, my company commander, and uh, Chief Hooker. I'll tell more stories about them fellas, but they was good company commanders, and they, they got us on the right path and, and formed us into a pretty decent company. All right, so that's it. I uh, I do ask that y'all please, 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 please listen to them to their entirety. Uh, subscribe, follow, whether you do it on podcasts, whether you do uh, Spotify, if you got a an Android phone, or if you just go to the website, to Buzzsprout, listen to them that way too, that's fine. But share it with people. Please share it with many people, as you know. If nothing else, I was telling Laura the other day, I'm, I'm squirreling, I know, but I was telling Laura the other day, I said, you know, the listeners aren't very many. I was telling my great friend, Bill Amos, I said, you know, Bill... Nobody's, nobody's listening to this stuff. I enjoy doing it, but nobody's listening to it. But here, here's, I think, going to be really the biggest benefit is these will are, are kind of like a book, but they'll become a matter of record. And maybe my kids and my grandkids will listen to them one day. I hope they do. Uh, but how cool is that to hit the fast-forward button uh, 50, 60, 75, 100 years from now and know that my children's 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 children may listen to these and go, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm an offspring in of that knucklehead. All right, well, that's it. As my great friend Mike Coker from Elgin, South Carolina, would say, bicycle. God bless y'all.